will you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, we are, God, we're thankful for so many different reasons this morning, and and just now, Lord, as we open up Scripture, we pray that you would, uh, you would give us fresh eyes to see what perhaps we haven't seen. You would open our hearts for, um, for receiving this message, and that all those other distractions, all those other things that are in our mind right now that we know we have to deal with, would you just silence those things for us and help us to be fully present. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This past week, this past week, just a couple of days ago, um, uh, some of you may know by now, but um, my brother, he gave us his old car so that Kylie, our 16-year-old, would be able to have a car and help us drive the kids around and do all the kind of stuff that, that after a while um, gets tiresome for parents, right, when you have to drive three different kids to three different places every day. And so I thought, you know, if she has a car, it'll be great. She can take them and, you know, she'll help us out. So one of the things that was wrong with this car, though, everything was fine, but one of the things that was wrong with it was that the, um, the air conditioning, it was, although it, the air was blowing out, there wa- it wasn't cold air. And so I had taken the car to get it smog to register, and then uh, the guy said, I'll charge you $45 to fix the air conditioning. And I was like, okay, that's not bad. I don't know how much it's supposed to cost. But I said, that's not bad. He says, or you can just do it yourself. He goes, it's simple. Go to Pet Boys or any auto parts store. They have the thing, you can do it yourself. It'll take you minutes. And I said, okay, I can do it. You know, it makes me feel like, like I'm useful, like I'm a man. So I went to, to one of the auto parts stores, and I found, you know, the big tubes of the air conditioning thing, and I was with one of my friends who's a little bit more handy than I am. I usually take him with me um, because he's just more helpful. He figures things out. So we get there, we do it, you know, and I surprised her because I wanted to do it while she was in school. I have the spare key. I, you know, we did it. We did everything the way it was supposed to. Of course, it took us a few trips to the auto parts store because we thought we had the wrong size, but it's all the same size. So we did it. We fixed it. Everything was fine. She comes home, and uh, when she came home, I said, hey, I'm going to take your car out for a ride because I want to see if the air conditioning, like, how good it's working. And she's, okay, fine. So I go in. I sit in the car. I turn the key, and it wouldn't start. The first thing that ran through my head was, like, I didn't do this, did I? Like, like I, it was just the air conditioning. How does, I don't understand. And it was just making this clicking noise, click, 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 click. I was like, what? Everything else was working, so it wasn't, it wasn't the battery. It just, it was something else. Now, it's probably still wrong, but my friend who was there says, we can figure this out. So we do what anybody does. We go on Google and look up this noise that it's making. And it told us, I know some of you are shaking your head, so it told us that we needed to, um, that it was probably, I don't even know what it's called, that's how I, like the ro- distributor, rotator, no, 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 it wasn't the alternator, it was, uh, it's the little thing, so, it wasn't, <laughs> it's right next to the solenoid, whatever that is. I know you guys are laughing, but I wasn't laughing because my daughter was like, what am I going to do without a car? I was like, walk, like everyone else did. <laughs> So we go and we buy, the, the, we buy this black thing that's like a road, I don't know, it's a cover of some sort, and then the other little piece that's next to the solenoid, because I know that, huh? Rotary cap and, the, yeah. So we go, oh, because, because my friend was moving all of the wires that connect the spark plugs to this ro- rotary, rotator cap, rotary cap, whatever, and, and the car kind of started, so we're like, okay, there's something there, that's the problem. So we switched those things out, right? It didn't cost us very much, right? I refused to take it to the, to the mechanic, and it worked. 
but it doesn't turn on if the air conditioner is on. So I have to remind her. I have to remind her to turn it on. I'm going to take it to the mechanic just, just, just to be sure. And while we were at it, we changed the spark plugs and the cables, you know. But, but here's the truth behind this story. When I get into my car every morning, my hope is that it'll turn on. Because I've had many cars that don't always turn on. You see, in our lives, we, we put and impute our trust on so many different things. And that's just a small example. But in some ways, I'm putting faith that my car will start. I have faith that while I'm driving, the tires won't burst. That's a hope. I have hope. I have a trust. I have a faith um, that my wife will always be faithful, which for us right now, currently, um, we have a friend who's going through a situation that has not been good for him. And um, Kim and I have just kind of been over it with him almost every single day for the last two weeks, just trying to provide comfort. See, no matter what we put our faith and our hope and trust into this world, there's going to be a, cha- a chance that those things and those people may let us down. Whether it's a car, whether it's the wheels, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your job, whatever it is, we put our faith in things, and the truth is that oftentimes we will be let down because that is unfortunately the way life works out in our lives. But what we find in the scriptures is that we can have our faith and we can put our trust in a God who will not let us down. It doesn't mean that he's going to give you everything you want exactly how you want it. This morning with our elders, we talked about how the Bible even says that God disciplines us like like we are his children. I don't like that part of the Bible. And yet it's there. I want to share with you a passage that you all know very well. And, And if you have, I hope you got some of these study guides that we're trying to incorporate into our, into our sermons every week, and they may not always be there, but as often as we can, we're going to put these here so that you can kind of have a little extra incentive to kind of follow along and maybe be able to go back to some of these passages um, that we read that were meaningful to you. But the first one is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want to break this down to you in a way that, that hopefully will make sense, and I'm still trying to make sense of it in my, in my mind. A hope is, is something that is not yet realized, correct? So I hope that, right? I hope that, and you fill in the blank. So a hope is something that is not real, that is not materialized yet. A hope is something that you really wish happens. But what the writer of Hebrews does is he says, faith is the assurance of those hopes, In other words, faith in God is what actually gives you the assurance that God is actually there. So it is our faith, in essence, that convicts us of the hope that we have in God. And the second part is that faith is also the conviction of the things that are not seen. When I was in college, I took a philosophy of religion class, and in it we wrestled with all of these questions. And one of these questions that we wrestled with was, Um, Can you prove that God exists? Now, at 20 years of age when I was taking this class, I needed to prove that God existed because that is what I needed. I needed proof that there was a God and that he existed because I was preaching about him. I was telling my friends about him. And so I had this conversation with my neighbor who who is a Christian but, but not really a practicing Christian. And he says, you can't prove that God exists. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can prove it. And so I used this, this old... Um, it was, it was by uh, Anselm of Canterbury, an ancient bishop, o- older bishop, 
who was able to logically prove and deduce that God exists. Now, you'd have to read it. It's too complicated. I can't get into it now. And, but that's what we were learning. And so I showed him. He goes, but that's still, you still haven't proved it to me. And so I wrestled and I wrestled. And what I've come to realize is there is nothing you can do to prove that God exists. There's, you can't. You can't point to something like you point to the piano and say, that's God. It's very difficult. You, you can't prove to somebody that, that, that God exists because we don't see God. Now, that's not a reason for us to not believe. What the Bible tells us is that God has given us something that goes beyond just our five senses. We live in a world where we need to be able to see, feel, touch, taste, or smell, and yet what we find in the Bible is that God is beyond all of those things. What we find in Scripture is that though we can't point to something and say, hey, that's God, what we do see is that God moves in such a way that we can, we can point back to a moment or a time or an experience and say, wow, God was there all along. And we don't have to prove that God exists to anybody for God to be real. God doesn't need a, a human logic to be able to prove that he exists. God just does. And what we find in the book of Hebrews is that having faith that what the Bible says is true, having faith that God does exist, and not only does he exist, but he also interacts and intervenes, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. Faith is not just about knowing a set of doctrinal truths and beliefs. Faith is about knowing someone. So you can believe or you can know all of these things about Jesus, but it doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Do you know what you call a person that knows a lot about somebody else? You know what you call that person? They know everything about them? Stalkers. <laughs> to be a believer in Jesus, it's about having that relationship with them. Yeah, come on. We, we live in a world where we have access to everything that we want, or I mean information that is on the internet. And so what you find is you have all these stories in the news all the time about somebody, so one of these celebrities having a stalker, and they even try to get into their house, but the celebrity has never met them. I don't want your relationship with Jesus to be just knowing all of these facts. Doctrinal truths are important. Don't get me wrong. What we believe about God is important, but it is not God. God and Jesus can only ever be experienced. It's not just about knowing all of these truths. So I want to share with you a quote from the book that we've been going through in our small groups. It says, when God invites you to join him in his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you. You will quickly realize that you cannot do what he is asking on your own. If God doesn't help you, you will fail. This is the crisis of belief. When you must decide whether to believe God for what he wants to do through you. At this point, many people decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. They wonder why they do not, oh yeah, then they wonder why they do not experience God's presence and activity the way other Christians do. When you choose to follow God-sized plans, there will always be naysayers. When you choose, I'm going to repeat that because it's important. When you choose to follow God-sized plans, there will often be naysayers. There will be people who don't support you. There will be people who tell you it's not worth doing that because we've tried that before. Or I've seen people try that and fail. 
In other words, when you follow God-sized plans, the truth is that there are going to be people who are going to hate on you for whatever reason. And what, is, what happens and what is very natural for us as human beings, what happens is we listen to the voices that are the loudest, not to the voices that are always the most supportive. We listen to the people that are closest being loud, and sometimes what happens is those people and those voices drown out the voice of God in your life. And what ends up happening is it doesn't affect those people, it affects you because when God is calling you to do something and you don't do it, you're the one that misses out, nobody else. You see, we want to live a life of meaning and of purpose. We want to live a life that, at least for me, when I look back, when I'm on my deathbed, I want to know that I did everything in my power to live a meaningful and purposeful life. That's what I, want. That's what I try to live my life for. Every single day I try to do that. And I do that, and I know I can only fully accomplish that if I'm learning and opening myself to listening to what God is leading me to do and where God is leading me. And even when it feels like I don't think I can really do that, that's kind of when I realize that's good. Because if I know that I can't do it on my own, then I know that God is going to have to help me through it. When you've experienced moments like that, when you've had those experiences, it prepares you for the next thing that God calls for you to do but it requires that you trust God. So when I go to the next, um, my next point, and I don't have this in the, in the notes, but this is what it is. When God tells you what he wants to do through you, you will face a crisis of belief. What you do next determines what you believe about God. That's interesting. When God calls you to do something, but you listen to the voices of the other people saying, don't do it, what that really shows you is that you don't believe that God is who God says he is and that God will not be there for you through the process. I don't know about you, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship like that. Like if I was in a relationship with, okay, I'll use my wife as an example, and she just didn't like, she just didn't follow through with anything. She, now, she's really great, so this is not true. So this, this is the hypothetical. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't want to be in a relationship where my wife tells me, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then she is disloyal. Do you guys want a relationship like that? No. When your wife or your husband tell you something, you want it to be true. But you see, what happens in our relationship with God is sometimes Although God is telling you all of this truth and God is telling you he will be there no matter what, and yet we don't trust that, it's almost as though we are the ones who are being unfaithful to God. Because we want to have that relationship with him and yet we don't trust him. And so what ends up happening is what are we left with when there's no relationship? We're left with what? Just facts and information and stories, but no relationship. Another, another part of the book that I want to read to you Oh, no, that was it. But here's the next part in the study guide. In Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. What does it say? For we walk by, not by. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk believing that what God says about himself, what the Bible says about himself is true, and what oftentimes helps us is when we see the stories of other people and how other people have actually been encountered by God and how God has actually been faithful to them through the difficulty, 
when I hear stories like that, when I hear people's stories like that, it just makes me believe that much more that that can happen for me too. And so this morning, I, wanted to, I was thinking of all the stories in the Bible that I could think of that I could use just as an example. And so I thought maybe I could use the story of Gideon and the brave 300 who went into battle. Or maybe I could use the story of Noah building a boat for a flood at a time when the region hadn't seen rain. That's weird. Think about it. They hadn't seen rain, and this guy was building a boat for a flood that was coming. I thought about maybe using the story of Moses as he went to Pharaoh and asked him to free his people. I thought about using the story of Elijah as he challenged the 400 prophets of Baal to see whose God could rain fire from the sky. I thought about using the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer going on and taking on the entire Philistine army, believing that God would help them. I thought about all of those stories. But you know what happens when we hear stories in Scripture? We have this tendency to think that's a great story, but it doesn't happen today. This morning in just a few moments, and if you got the weekly email, the Citrus News, I said there might be a little surprise. This morning, I, um, I, I've asked Lou and Trisha to come up in just a few moments to share what God did through them over the last couple of weeks. Um, some of you have heard that Lou was stuck in Peru um, for a, an extended stay, but what we haven't heard is what God did for him, through him, within him, for him during that entire stay. When I heard that testimony, I was going to ask him anyway to share that, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. Because if we hear it firsthand of a story that happened in 2012, it helps us to believe even more. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to ask the two of you to come up. But before that, there's, I want to finish filling this out so you kind of have a, a, a foundation um, for what are some of the truths when we are encountered by God. So number one, and you might have guessed it, an encounter with God requires faith. You have to believe that it's God. This is straight from that Experiencing God workbook. If you don't know what that is, but you want to know more about it, make sure you come to me afterwards and we can try to get you a copy or just kind of get you connected with, with a group that's already going through this or, or start a new one. So number one is an encounter with God requires faith. Number two, encounters with God are, yeah. If you're a parent and you have kids, are you going to give them anything less than your best? The hope is no. I know sometimes we do. But the hope is that we will never give anything less than our best. And if God is who God says he is, he will never give you anything less than his very best. Encounters with God are God-sized. Number three, what you do in response to God's revelation reveals what you believe about God. That's, that's a tough one. Because if you say, you know what, God, good idea, I'm going to put it off a little bit, you have to realize that what you're really saying about God is you really can't come through if I need you. If we don't follow what God is leading you in your life, that sense, and guess what, even if it's not God and it was just your own, your own passion or your own idea, well, at least you tried it. At least you risked it. At least you were living fully alive. But I would say that most of the time, those inclinations, that, that nudge that you feel to do something that is good, I believe God is the one who is behind that always. And number four, true faith requires what? True faith requires action. True faith requires action. 
You may know everything there is to know about the Bible. You may know everything there is to know about Jesus and God, and you may be able to do all of the Bible studies about all the doctrinal beliefs that we have. You may know how to do all that, but what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 is that though you can do all of those things, but if you do not have love, if you do not have a faith relationship with God, you're just like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. You are just noise, and nobody likes noise. To give you an example of this, and this is I'm going to finish, when I was at this conference this week, this past week I was at a leadership conference down the road, and um, they were giving away uh, free whistles. Now, whenever I go places, I look for things to bring home to the kids. I never bring home things that make noise because it's just noise. And I felt bad because I couldn't bring them these free things, but nobody likes noise. A relationship with Christ, what we find in that is something beautiful and meaningful. It is that God will not forsake us. He will not leave you. It's about more than just knowing the facts. It's about living them out.